about a year ago, I lost my voice. It was gone and it couldn't be found. It was like constantly turning the page of Where's Waldo. Every Thursday, I would get my voice and then it would be gone again and I couldn't find out why. So my parents, God bless their hearts from Ohio, took me to so many doctors and they still couldn't find out the reason why I kept losing my voice. I would have my voice for one out of seven days of the week. And that's crazy. Anyway, I kept going to more and more doctors until finally, one brave soul found a reason to the why I keep losing my voice. It was a simple diagnosis, unexpected, but simple. I was medically diagnosed as talking too much. Think about that. You can get medically diagnosed as talking too much. I am physical proof. Well, I am verbal proof. This is the queen of the jungle. I'm Alyssa Lyons, and you're listening to They Say I Talk Too Much. the kid from California who spent his weekend reporting on the U.S. Open. Welcome back. This is I Talk Too Much with Alyssa Lyons. I am sitting here with Bailey Arredondo. Bailey, what an incredible moment this weekend. You did a lot of things. You learned a lot. Tell me a little bit, though, before we get started, about yourself. Well, thanks for having me on. First of all, Alyssa, I appreciate it. I was from California, so made a little trip over to New York and always kind of dreamed of doing something with sports. Uh, frustrated high school athlete, always had a fascination of, you know, the guys dunking or the guys that could whip a 40, 50 yard pass down the field, but never could do it myself. So was excited to get involved in sports, see what I can do, and which led me out here to Syracuse. Syracuse, so much different than California. No oh. beaches. You're telling me. It is cold. Very. Not yet, but it's getting there. Not yet, right? I mean, six inches of snow is what I'm hearing in a month. <laughs> you know, the way I think about it is not really a, a year program, just one winner. That's all I got to get through. Just one winner, and one we are here to do that while right now, this year, this one year that we're here in Syracuse University. So, this weekend, you got to report at the U.S. Open. Ex- just an incredible experience. I really couldn't put it into words. And exactly, incredible. That's all I can say for this weekend. Um, what we were able to witness was a great matchup between um, Osaka and Coco Guff. Um, I mean, we've been talking about Guff since the um, Wim- since Wimbledon. Since Wimbledon, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. what a surprising role she stole the hearts of America, stole the hearts of Wimbledon. Took out Venus Williams. Took out Venus Williams. Got to play Serena. Did she know? No, she never played Serena. Um, I don't think so, but she made it into the second week, uh, which is a big deal in tennis, making the oh, second Oh, yeah. Week. Well, what an incredible start for her, and what an incredible moment that she got to meet up with one of her best friends that she actually played with um, for six years here, um, actually in Florida. Florida. Yeah, real rich history, too. I think they're, like you said, I think their dads are family friends, and mm-hmm. really close connects. Very deep-rooted. Uh, yeah. They still talk, by the way according to the Washington Post. So. Yeah, I wonder what that means, that they still talk. What they still talk about. That means they're probably sticking on each other's opponents. Uh, maybe. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's what happened after the match that has people talking. Um, take a listen. 
Yeah, I definitely <laughs> wanted to leave the court <laughs> um, because I'm not the type of person who wants to cry in front of everyone. And she, and I didn't want to take that m moment away from her as well. And she told me that it's better than crying in the shower. All right, Bailey, being there firsthand, what was it like to witness that moment? Well, the atmosphere, you could tell it wasn't, it almost wasn't even a tennis match. It was, it was emotional, but really just uh, an incredible, an incredible experience to witness a 15-year-old playing in Arthur Ashe Stadium. That's the biggest tennis stadium in the world. So just to see her out there and to see her compete, you know, the, the skill levels were apparent. You could tell Naomi was the number one seed. You can tell that Coco's 15. But after the match, regardless of the score, it was it was a true testament that tennis is a pure class sport. This isn't a sport like every, every, everyone else thinks. It's a pure class sport. It really is. And I mean, usually when the match ends, the losing opponent just walks off the court. Yeah. But for Osaka to even go over to her and say, hey, these people are here for you. Definitely. Come talk. Come they, share was, your experience. It was funny because they didn't even meet at the middle of the net. They kind of went around to the side where the umpires were at and immediately didn't even go for the classic tennis, you know, handshake. It was just an immediate hug. Oh, yeah. And and that's something that is a, a true testament to who Naomi is as a person, that she recognizes that it, it's, it's bigger than tennis, that this is a not only learning experience for Coco, but an incredible opportunity for her to get to play there. Incredible. And I mean, I thought that Coco was just going to walk off the court and Osaka just kind of turned at her and said, hey, let's take a moment. Let's enjoy this moment together. Mm -hmm. And then the tears started pouring down. And I think everybody else in the stadium, when they weren't cheering for Coco, they were crying. Exactly. Because usually after a tennis match, like you said, the opponents are a little mad and they kind of just flaunt off and go back to the locker room. Don't try to sign any tennis balls. But for everyone to be there and to almost stop and stay still and to just witness what they were going to... I mean, everyone was just waiting to see what they were going to say, if they were going to say anything. And the back and forth they had um, after the game, and it was just, like I said, a, a sight to be seen. But for Goff to continue to climb up these rankings, I mean, I think she's almost 140, maybe a little bit above 140, ranked in the world. And to, like I said, to be, play, to be playing at Arthur Ashe Stadium... I think that was was the true, you know, takeaway of the match, regardless of the outcome. Because, you know, I hate to say it, but not many people thought that Coco would even get that far. I mean, exactly. she had to beat two opponents before she played Naomi. Mm -hmm. So just to get there, I mean, that's that's the biggest takeaway I have from it. And Sue, I mean, we're going to be seeing her for a very long time. Oh, I mean, this is just getting started. Like, it is. like you said, she had her kind of debut at Wimbledon. This U.S. Open was her second Grand Slam appearance ever. So, I mean, this is, if this is just the beginning, then whew, we're in for a ride, Alyssa. And she's only 15, people. What were you doing at 15? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm probably just getting my temps and crashing my parents' cars, but that's another story <laughs> for another time. Another great story. So, Osaka was the returning champion. Obviously, right now, her run at the U.S. Open has ended, has come to a close. But Serena Williams has picked up her 100th match win. Took 44 minutes for Serena to secure that 100th match win, and she's moving on to the quarterfinals. She is honestly, I think personally, has looked the best since post baby, since she's had the baby. So she, her last title was in 2017 at the Australian Open. She hasn't really found that rhythm, and in in women's tennis, it's different because it's the best of three sets. So in two sets, let me tell you, really anything can happen. 
for me, I remember when playing and when coaching, the first set's almost a warm-up set. So I think for women, it, it's tough because it's a, it's a very quick-paced game. So it's tough for them to get in rhythm. So getting off to a, a good start has been Serena's kind of attack this, this year and what I've seen at the U.S. Open. But, boy, I mean, she is on, on a mission. She looks determined. And I think that probably comes after, I don't know if you remember this, Wimbledon when they told mm-hmm. her not to be able to wear certain clothing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like mm-hmm. she just had a fire in her sense. She's created her own clothing mm-hmm. line. She had a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also been her will and power for going to these matches, continuing to play, showing that a working mom can win on the court. Definitely, and it's kind of funny you said that because this year, if she does end up making it to the finals, end up holding up that trophy, it'll almost be first, it'll, it almost will be full circle because she won her first Grand Slam title at the U.S. Open in 1999, so it'll be kind of a, a full circle of where she started, where she is now, but she's still got a lot of work to do. I mean, she's got to get through two more opponents, um, the women's draw is, I wouldn't say wide open, but there isn't too many notable names. Uh, her next round match, I believe, is Alina Svitolina, and she's the fifth seed and uh, a decent-sized player. But I really think, I mean, if you've watched Serena Williams play, if you've seen what she's capable of, she can beat any girl on any any given day. Oh, I believe it, and I can't wait to see it. Serena Williams, 23 Grand Slam titles, looking for her 24th. She's moving on. But what also caught my eye this weekend was Novak Djokovic. Oh, man. I mean, a, a weird turn turnaround for him. Weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you think about it, in a lot of sports, you're not allowed to quit during the game. You can't just say, oh, you know, I'm losing by 50, I'm losing by 100, I'm just going to call it quits. Because you do owe it to the fans a little bit, right? Yeah, and I think an athlete that's more likely to say, I'm not willing to give up. Mm-hmm. But it seems like Novak... He's legit. He was. So he was playing one of my personal favorite players, Stan Wawrinka, and he was down 6-4, 7-5, and then 2-1 in the third set. He just got broken, and those last few points on his serve, I mean, he double-faulted, looked out of it. There was something up, mm-hmm. but I don't think anyone expected him just to say, I'm done. I thought he was going to at least finish the set. I just thought it was crazy that he held out the white flag. Did he even look like he was interested in playing? No, he really didn't. And I don't know if it was because he felt that he already did what he was supposed to do this tennis season. I mean, he won the Australian. He won Wimbledon. Uh, got to the semis in the French. So two out of the four Grand Slams, getting to the semis in the French, pretty good for a tennis calendar year. Oh, it's great. It's, in- it's incredible. How does that even happen? You go from winning all these titles to dropping out in the middle of a match against an easy win opponent and it's funny because you know he was down two sets he knew he was going to probably lose that that was probably going to be the the outcome but i believe that with any sport they owe they owe a diligence to the fans i mean these people are taking time you don't know if someone took took a work day off you don't know if someone drove across country to see that match you don't know if someone slept outside the stadium to get their seat Uh, a kid has been waiting all their life to see novak Djokovic play and that was the one match they caught so they, they owe a, a due diligence to, to the fans and to the broadcasters, to the media, to everyone there to really just finish the match because, I mean, that's what you should do. You just got to do. And at the end of the day, that is what it was. It was a disappointment for everyone there. Um, I know he had a shoulder injury. It was a left shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. And 
room because he's just Joker's incentive. <laughs> I mean, that is a part of the game. That's yeah. the body. Yeah. And, and the reporters, too, in, in the media center uh, tested him after and, and really tried to find out what was going on. And he was very stern, says, I don't want to talk about my injuries. More talked about, you know, he referenced, you know, I won, you know, I won the, the two of the previous three Grand Slams this year. I think I did okay. But I don't know. I think the fans had a, a right to boo. Oh, I agree 100%. Well, speaking of reporting, you got to go down to the U.S. Open to be a reporter, and this, was this your first time at a major global sporting event? Yeah, my first time actually at a professional sporting event. I've only worked with collegiate athletics and with high school sports, so my first time kind of getting on a big stage. Tell me a little bit about it. I mean, Uh, there's media from all over that come to cover the U.S. Open. That's a great point because a lot of a lot of people I think they they know but they don't fully understand that tennis is a global sport. So a lot of these players when they come in after their matches, the first the first media people that are asking these questions are the ones that are native in their language. They go their language first if they're obviously from a foreign country, and then they go to English, and then they go to more one-on-one interviews. So it really just put in perspective how global this sport is and and you know you would see in the media center you know a whole row for you know german reporters little section for japan little section for spain and it was just awesome to just to be around that and to ask questions and it's funny because it kind of comes back to something we've learned how sports matters and how we I, we can have nothing in common at all i was talking to people like i said from germany from spain never met these people but we can actually have a genuine conversation about the sport of tennis and and have an insightful conversation a back and forth so that was just a huge takeaway for me on how this sport impacts more than we think and i think you make a great point that sports is a form of conversation for people so as long as you find something in common like sports to talk about you have the world definitely and there's that aspect of it on how it's very conversational easy flowing especially for someone like me that's been around the sport that you know, loves it. It's almost effortless to talk. Seeing how ESPN and seeing how the professional media groups really put on these productions and put on this coverage, I haven't seen anything like that before. Who had the most media coverage besides the U.S.? I would say probably probably the United Kingdom. Um, they sent a lot over because there's a few players that are there, but It's funny you say that because I actually was thinking, I was saying, if there was a player from your country that was out and there's no one left in your country, do they still stay around or do they not? Uh, So I wasn't wasn't too sure about that, but I would say the UK had a lot and Germany had a lot too. Everything about the whole US Open was just a a small glimpse because, you know, it's a two-week-long tournament, so I was only there for Mm -hmm. one day, but it was just a small glimpse on on what this industry can put you in and what you can actually do and how many people you're actually reaching i mean i'm thinking about people that cover for the u.s open that are maybe just from new york or from san francisco they might just be reporting for those cities i mean we're talking about people that come from countries that they're reporting on countries there are people in these countries that need you know that this is their only source of of news for tennis so there it's a high a high priority but high stakes it's once you once you're there it's very i shouldn't say effortless but it's a little bit of more easy flowing tennis that that makes sense oh no it does and two i think you're able to be a little bit cultured as a reporter in that retrospect because Mm -hmm. you're seeing the way that their countries report versus the way the u.s reports the media Mm -hmm. and i think that that is a cultural divide because we have freedom of speech here so we can write about anything and everything Mm -hmm. but they cannot and they only have sports 
And so I think that's the greatest point ever because they live and breathe tennis. Mm -hmm. And that is the one thing that they can find joy in on television or through any medium. But with also finding that joy, which I noticed, is that there's this real pressure of being knowledgeable. I mean, people, when, when you ask questions, they expect you to know. They expect that you've followed this guy since he's picked up a racket when he was five years old. I mean, the, the professionalism and, and how much goes into it really, really not, not really blew my mind, but almost took me a step back and said, wow, I mean, these are true, true professionals. I mean, when sitting on the ESPN set, when they were previewing the Nadal match, having kind of the backseat where I'm kind of seeing the producers, seeing the stage managers work, and then seeing the talent, there wasn't really one time where the producers or the guys working the cameras or the stage managers were telling the talent, hey, this is what we want you to say, this is what we want you to do. They're expecting the talent to know what they're going to say, know, have, a, have the comfortableness of knowing that they're going to be well-versed, that they're going to not just say, you know, not really just fluff stats, but saying that, wow, Nadal, great player. It, you know, instead of more of, a, more of the velocity of, of his shots, how much spin he puts on the ball, where he's putting his second serves. It's just that little kind of stuff that really, I think, separates professional from non-professionals. We look at it all the time at television. We're told to critique, but to see it all come together and have that respect and know that knowledge is unlike anything ever. I think it's important, too, to understand each role and to see how each person really contributes to a broadcast, to a live show. Uh, because, you know, when the camera's on, the camera's on. So anything could go wrong. And it's not a slow game. It's oh. fast. It is back and forth. I'm sure their neck hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. It's funny because when you, when you go to the tennis matches, you can kind of see on the sides, you know, not behind the players, but on the sides, everyone's back and forth, kind of moving their head side to side. So that's always a kind of funny thing to look at. Well, I love to see it, love to hear it. Biggest takeaway of the weekend? Ooh, that's a tough one. It's, it's tough to put into words or to sum up, but I would say the biggest takeaway is really how much an impact it has on, on not just fans, but on these players, too. I mean, we saw, like we talked about earlier, you know, Osaka and Coco Goff literally crying together. When was the last time you saw two athletes crying together after they were just trying to rip each other's throats out, figuratively, you know? <laughs> across the tennis court and tennis not being a non-contact sport with you not being able to be coached you know it's a mental mental battle so just to be there and be able to witness that it's different than on tv it's different than seeing highlights you have to be there and physically see it because it's just the little mannerisms it's the little emotions it's the after after they you know after the service game is over when they're switching sides they're coming back to their bench and you know they're kicking their tennis racket or they're slamming it on the ground or just the little stuff like that really puts it in totality that this sport is, is really different than the others. So I think that was just a takeaway. But, I mean, for me, like I said, I'm a tennis fanatic. It was just an awe for me to be there. Bailey Arredondo, everybody, from California. Tennis is his game. Bailey is his name. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you, Alyssa, for having me. That's it for today. Monday, we're talking women playing fantasy football and see what the men have to say about it. I'm your host, the Queen of the Jungle, and thanks for tuning in to They Say I Talk Too Much. Hey.